Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see you all. I want to welcome those watching online as well. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. The book of Exodus, chapter 20. Before I get into my message today, uh, first of all, happy Easter. We're still in, we're still in the season of Easter. Uh, in the church, often Easter is just something that happens on one Sunday. But for the church, Easter is actually a season in the life of the church. It's called Easter Tide. In the same way that we have Advent, in which we anticipate the birth of Jesus, in the same way that we have Lent for 40 days, we're anticipating the death and resurrection of Jesus. After Jesus rises from the dead, we celebrate Easter Tide, which is 50 days. And it's a time of feasting, it's a time of celebrating, it's a time of rejoicing. And I love that it's 50 days, Lent is 40 days. The feast is always better than the fast. And so if you need an excuse to, to just go to a nice restaurant, it's Easter tide, all right? Just get an extra piece of cake. It's, we're celebrating he's alive, all right? Not too much cake, but we're celebrating he's alive. And so uh, happy Easter to you all. Also want to make mention, for those of you who are in small groups, for those of you who want to continue to wrestle with the content of what happens on a Sunday morning, on our website, if you click newlife.nyc, if you click on sermons, there is an, there's an area there where it says sermon-based questions. And so for small groups that want to discuss the sermon from Sunday, or if you just need questions to just continue to wrestle, to journal, to pray through it, there's some really wonderful questions and an outline that's created every week for the sermons. And so if you just go on newlife.nyc, if you're a small group leader and you're looking for new content, you can look at that. Look at that. Or if you're just looking to wrestle with the context, uh, with the content a little bit more, newlife.nyc, just click on the sermon link and you'll see the sermon-based questions there. We are in a series focusing on the Ten Commandments. This is our last sermon in the Ten Commandments. We're at number 10, and I've learned so much in this process. We've grown together in this process trying to understand what it means for us to live into the reality that we are free people, and we're at number 10. And so the, the first week we had this, I, I taught you the Ten Commandments using your fingers. This is the last week we're teaching on this, and so I'm going to teach you one more time. For those of you who weren't here uh, the first time, I'll teach you how to memorize the Ten Commandments with your fingers. And uh, so you know it and you can share it with us. And so just participate with me. Just put one hand up here, one finger like this here. This is, uh, you shall not have any other gods before me. That's the first one. The second one is, you shall not make any graven images. You see how that images each other right there? There we go. Number three is, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Just, just so you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, number four is, turn that into a pillow. Remember the Sabbath. Uh, just, just go right there. It is, all right? Number five is honor your father and mother. Number six, turn that into a knife. You shall not commit murder. <laughs> Number seven is put that together there and you, sp you sp do not commit adultery. You're splitting right down the middle right there. Number eight is you shall not steal. Just grab that off right there. Number nine is you shall not uh, bear false witness. And you can just put up just like that there. It's equivalent to false scales. Don't lie. That's basically what he's saying. That's the ninth commandment. And then the tenth commandment today, what we're focusing on is do not covet. Do not covet. All right? This works well at birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, company picnics. Uh, and so memorize that and go with the flow. Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, hear the word of the Lord. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant 
or his ox or his donkey or anything belongs that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, open our eyes now through the power of your spirit. Open our ears, open our hearts, that we would receive every gift you have for us this day. And that we would live into the reality that we are free people, made free by your love, made free by your cross, made free by your resurrection, made free by the power of your spirit dwelling inside of us. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You shall not covet. This past week, I was away with my family on spring break, and throughout the week, we ate at a bunch of different places. And something happens to me, and maybe to you, whenever you go into a restaurant and you order some food. I have a thing in me where I order some food and then my food comes, I'm very happy with what I ordered, and then I look at what someone else has on their plate. And I go, oh, what's that over there? And they tell me what they have and I go, that looks so good. Why didn't I order what you have there? You ever done that before? Why didn't I order what? And then I go to my wife. I say, hey, babe, can I get a little slice of what you think? That's my stuff. Leave my stuff alone. No, but, but uh, can I have, why did I order the salad when that burger looks so juicy and, and so wonderful over there? And in a very harmless kind of a way in that restaurant, I am violating the Ten Commandment, you shall not covet. Now, the act of coveting is something we all struggle with. Every one of us in this room struggles with this command, and this is not a new problem. Coveting did not begin when Instagram started. Coveting did not begin when the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous TV show was on. Coveting did not begin just yesterday. Coveting has been an issue throughout human history. And what I want to show you is that God has something for us. In a world that is often dominated by coveting, God has something for us. And this is not easy to live into, but God can free us in a way that we can live into it. And it is this simple truth that free people are joyfully content. Free people are joyfully content. Content. Enslaved people are caught through coveting, caught by coveting, but free people are joyfully content. And that's what I want to unpack as we look at this final commandment. Now, as we've been discovering and seeing over the past couple of months, the Ten Commandments are given to people who have been made free by God. God did not give these commandments as a way of freeing the people of God. He gives these commandments as a way of showing what free people look like. And so God does not give the Ten Commandments while they're still in Egypt, while they're still under Pharaoh's oppression. He doesn't say, here are the commands, live them perfectly, live them fully, and after you do it perfectly, then I'll liberate you. No, no, no. God out of God's grace, God out of God's covenant kindness, God out of his loving mercy frees the people of God after 400 years of slavery and then gives them the Ten Commandments to show them what free people look like. And so when God gives these commands, he gives them for, real, for two reasons uh, predominantly. The first is because of, he wants to shape a new identity in them. He's saying you've been shaped for 400 years, but I have a new identity for you. You are new people. You are free people. You have a new identity. But the second reason he gives the commands is because of mission. And so we have identity and we have mission. 
And by mission, he's saying through your new identity, you are to let the world know what God is like. You are to let the world know what this, what this, what this almighty God is like. Therefore, you do things differently than the surrounding world. And your mission is to show what God is like. And that's our mission today as well, to live in the new identity that God has given us. And to live on mission, showing the world what God is like. And so the commandments are given. You shall rest because the world doesn't know how to rest. You shall work for life because the world kills. You shall live in covenant loyalty because the world uh, commits adultery. You shall not steal. You are to live a new identity. And this new identity is to live and to be expressed into mission. And so we get to this 10th commandment. And God saves this one for last, I think, for an important reason. And the 10th commandment is you shall not covet. Now, what's interesting is every other commandment except the first, you can argue, is observable with the eye. The first commandment and the 10th are not necessarily observable with the eye. You can, you, you, when you see when someone commits adultery, you, you can hear when someone lies, you can see someone murder. It's observable with the eye. But the first and tenth commandment, you can live your entire life coveting and no one knows about it. Only you and only God. And so covet, what, what I mean by covet, coveting is to have an intense desire for something that someone else has which often leads to pursuing it. An intense desire for something someone else has, which often leads to pursuing it. It's an interior reality that often leads to exterior expression. It's, it's more than just saying, I want that. It's saying, I want what you have. And that's a difference. You can want something, that's one thing, but you see what someone else has, and you says, I want what you have. And this is not a modern problem, per se. It didn't start in our day. This is an ancient problem and a modern problem as well. And so in this command, God gets very specific. I want you to see this. In verse 17, he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. As I read that verse this week, this is how it came to me. This command addresses what we uh, have, what we do, and who we are connected to. And that rhymes a little bit, so hopefully you can memorize that. What we have, what we do, and who you are connected to. What you have, what you do, okay, and who you are connected to. Okay, it, it, those three things, what you have what you do, and who you are connected to. And so it says, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What, what another person has, do, do not cover it. And be, beyond just the house, I would say this extends to possessions just generally. What you do, that's the ox, the donkey, the ox and the donkey, that's related to work. It's related to productivity. It's related to one's livelihood, what you do. And then uh, who you are connected to, it says don't covet your, sp uh, your neighbor's spouse, which is to say, uh, it's very clear in this passage, but it can, I believe, be extended to all kinds of relationships. What you have, what you do, and who you are connected to. Now, when you look at these things here, it says I don't have an ox, I don't have a donkey, uh, but yet this relates to us 
very clearly in our lives, what you have, what you do, and who you are connected to. This is a modern problem because this is a human problem. We live in a coveting world. We live in a coveting world. And I know what this is, what it's like to covet. About six months ago, Rosie and I and our kids, we, we moved into a, a new apartment in Queens, and we, we saw the apartment. We were very happy about it. We saw, oh, this is a great size for us. Uh, this is great. There's a great view out of, our, out of our window. This is this is wonderful. And so the week before we were about to move in, uh, we were getting things settled. We were packing. And uh, the week before we moved in, we took a drive down to North Carolina to spend Thanksgiving with my family. And I go to North Carolina, and, and my cousin in, in North Carolina, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, has a, just purchased a massive house. Not a small, a massive house. And so I walk in, I was so content with, with our little apartment in Queens, so happy to have it. And then, and then I go, as I drive up, I drive up, I go, what is this? And, and so I, I park in this like four car garage and, 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 and I look through, I open up and I go on the, the foyer, they have a foyer, you know, and I, like, the ceilings are about this high. And, and I'm just where, where am I? To walk from one side of the house to the other, it takes a number of seconds. That's not like exaggerating. I didn't say minutes. Seconds. That's a long time. If you're thinking about seconds to get from one side of the house, so that's a long time. In my apartment, it takes one second to go from the living room to the kitchen. It's just like <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> living room. That's where we're at. And so I look at his house. And something starts happening inside of me. I begin to intensely desire what he has. What was interesting, I went out to the backyard. In the backyard, he's showing me his massive backyard, which is about the size of this sanctuary here. And I, and I look out and I go, what's that in the back? And, and he goes, oh, that's a little house. For who? Oh, that's my daughter whenever she wants to play. It was about the size of my apartment, her house in the back. <laughs> Seven years old. How old is he? Seven. And she just hangs out there. Yeah, she just hangs out there with, with the, that's, that's, that's a nice apartment right there. And something happened inside of me as I was in North Carolina. A coveting happens when we see someone's job. And, and, and we start making some of our own calculations. Go, this person must make this kind of salary. Therefore, you start feeling a certain way about yourself and a certain way about what someone else has. I know what it's like as a pastor to have coveted someone else's church. I go to conferences with other pastors and a pastor gets up on the stage and says, we grew our congregation to 5,000 people in 18 months. I'm like, how, how did you do that? How did you do that? And I'm looking out and something is like inside of me intensely desiring what someone else has. Or you spend time with another person's kids. You see their kids. And, they, and, and they're well behaved. And, 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 and they don't talk back. And, and, and they just sit there. And, and, and you go, how'd you do that? What's, what? and, and all of a sudden, I want kids like that. What will you start looking at? There again, something happens inside you where you are deeply desiring something someone else has and you begin to covet. 
Now, there's an important difference I want to highlight. And the difference is this. Admiring is not coveting. You can admire something, but not covet. You, you can look at someone else's house. You can look at someone else's career. You can look at someone else's kids. You can look at someone else's spouse and not feel an intense desire for this. You can admire what they had. Moreover, desiring is not coveting. You could see what someone else has and, and desire what they have, but not covet it. You could see a, a married couple deeply in love and say, I desire that with my spouse. That, to desire is not to covet. Uh, to desire is, I want that with, with my spouse. To covet is, I want that with your spouse. <laughs> See the difference? <laughs> it's a big difference. I want that with my spouse, desire. I want that with your spouse, coveting. And so desire, to desire is not a bad thing. God is not against you having desires. Not at all. It's often one of the ways God speaks to us. God has placed desires in you. When those desires line up with God's desires, we're made in the image of God. It's a really beautiful thing. Desiring in itself is not the problem. The problem is when we cross a certain line where our hearts fall into a trap. And you know when you've crossed the line in terms of coveting. When the intense longing leads to greater levels of dissatisfaction and disconnection with what you have dissatisfaction and disconnection with what you have. That's when you are on dangerous territory and you move from desire to coveting. When there's a growing sense of dissatisfaction and disconnection. All of a sudden you see someone else's spouse, you see another person's job or whatever it is, and you get in an unhealthy way dissatisfied and all of a sudden disconnected. Now we are in dangerous territory. Now, I need to say this really quickly because the idea about dissatisfaction, I don't want you to hear dissatisfaction is a bad thing. For some of you, I imagine some of you who have to work two jobs to make ends meet. You're in economic challenges, challenging situations, and you're dissatisfied with where you're at. And that's normal to be dissatisfied with where you're at. You, you want to have a job where you don't have to work crazy hours to put food on the table. You want to have a job or, and such where you, uh, you want to have a marriage and such that it's, it's fruitful and it's loving. You wanna, and so I, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about a particular problem that's related to people wanting something, desire in an unhealthy, damaging way. And this is not new. This phenomenon is as old as human history. And you could argue that the original sin in the Garden of Eden was the sin of coveting. The sin of coveting. Look at the environment. They had everything they need. Everything they could want in that garden, Adam and Eve. All the food at their disposal. Could you imagine the beauty? Could you imagine the smells? Could you imagine the taste? Everything they could want. Everything they could need was in that environment. God placed them in there, but then something happened to them. They wanted something else. And you have a heart that's consumed with coveting where no amount of anything is good enough. That's when we are in dangerous territory. 
I think of the famous story of John D. Rockefeller, who at one point was the world's richest man ever to become, you know, first ever to become American billionaire. And considering he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, he is considered, even to today, the richest man in, in human history, in modern history. And when a reporter asked him, how much money is enough, he famously responded, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Why is coveting so dangerous? Well, very simply, coveting might be the foundation of violating the other nine commandments. Coveting, you could argue, is the gateway to violating the other nine commandments. Let me explain it this way. When you covet the divine... You violate the first commandment, you trying to be your own God. And the first commandment, you shall not have any other gods before me. When you, when you covet control, you will violate the second command because it says you shall not make any idols. And we talked about that, how we make idols to suit our own purposes and make God in our own image for the sake of control. When you covet power, you will violate the third commandment because you might misuse the Lord's name for your own power. We see this done in our personal lives. We see this done politically. Well, they will use God's name for the sake of power. When you covet success, you will violate the fourth commandment because you can never rest. And so it's all about success. There's no time to rest. When you covet an an unhealthy sense of independence, you can violate the, the fifth commandment where you do not honor your father and mother, where you want to do your own thing, later for the wisdom of anyone else. When you, when you covet a justice, justice in our way, in our human failed way, not God's justice, our justice in our way, you can violate the sixth commandment, which says do not murder. When you, when you covet an unhealthy sense of intimacy, you will violate the seventh commandment, which says do not commit adultery. When you covet prosperity, you will violate the eighth commandment, which says do not steal. When you, when you, when you covet security to protect what you have, you will lie to protect it at all costs. And so this 10th commandment is the most insidious, it's the most imperceptible, it's the hardest to see, and yet it might be the gateway to violating the other nine, which is why it is so very dangerous. And it's safe to say that on the outside, you can look just wonderful. On the outside, everything looks fantastic. But on the inside, you look like Gollum. You look like this right there. (laughs) This is from the Lord of the Rings. If you ever watched the Lord of the Rings, read the book, there's a character named Gollum, and in the course of the story, he gets a hold of of a ring of power. He wasn't always like that. And the ring prolongs his life, but in the process, he loses it. And when he loses the ring, he obsesses over it to the point where he gets it back and he finds he covets it. He obsesses over it. it, it it's the precious. It, it, he, 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 he takes it there. And he is now, that was pretty good, right? It, 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 he, he was, he now covets it to the point where it destroys him. And many of us on the outside, we look wonderful. But an insight when your heart is coveting, something is damaged in your soul. When we covet, our hearts are damaged. 
When we covet, we make bad decisions that hurt others. We, we write checks we can't cash. I've heard it said, we, 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 when we covet, we, we end up buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. <laughs> or we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people who don't even know we exist. You've been trying to get their eyes on you. They don't even know you exist. And yet we are coveting, trying to prove ourselves to others. And yet there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way, brothers and sisters, where we can live free from the all-consuming power of coveting, which leads us to violate the rest of these commandments. And the good news is that you have, God wants to make you free, and God can free you. God wants to free you from the need to have to prove yourself, from the need to make something of yourself. To, to need, the need to establish yourself so that other people can see you. And this is the good news of God's salvation. That God in Christ doesn't just want to save you from outward forces and enemies. God wants to save you from the inner forces and enemies that live inside of you. In other words, listen, God's not just after behavior modification. God's after heart transformation. God doesn't just want you to change your behavior. He wants to change the source of the behavior which is your very heart and my very heart. And God is in the business of heart transformation. God has the power to set you free from the incessant need to prove yourself. God has the power to set you free from the incessant need to make a name for yourself. From the free from the internal scripts and stories that have so dominated your life and it's found and his love and acceptance. Where does this begin? It begins. We just sang about it. Oh, how he loves us. How he lo That's where our identity is rooted. Christ died for us, resurrected. We celebrate he's alive so that we would live in this love. So that our, our, our false self would now just like, like, like scales just fall off of us. Because we have found something in God's love. We don't need, we don't need to approve ourselves. We don't need to find acceptance. We already accepted in him. We've already received a new name. We've already received his righteousness. We, we are a new people. We are a new creation. We have to now receive his love. This is the starting point. And it is out of this starting point of receiving his love that God calls us into a new reality opposed to coveting. And that new reality is joyful contentment. How do we, where, where do we go from coveting? We, we, we move to joyful contentment. But I want to say that it's not enough to simply say, be content. Willpower. Be, this is not about willpower. This is not about psyching yourself up. And the last thing I want to do as a preacher is say, just listen, be content with what God has given you. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we're cultivating contentment and moving away from coveting? Well, I want to offer three questions. Three life-transforming questions that if we begin to wrestle with them in the presence of God, if we begin to wrestle with them in the context of community and friendships and relationships, I believe God can begin to free us, free our hearts from this coveting 
into joyful contentment. The first question, very simply, is this. When, when, whenever, you, when, whenever you get, you see another person's car, whenever you see another person's house, whenever you see another person's job, whenever you see another person's kids, whenever you see another person's spouse, the question you need to ask yourself when you're feeling all bad about yourself is what's the story you're telling yourself? What is the story you are telling yourself? Whenever coveting, whether it's the early stages of coveting or whether you are already making decisions along those lines, what's the story? And chances are, I know the story. Chances are, there's one story that all of us tell ourselves. And the story begins in a certain way and ends in a certain way and there's a blank in the middle. And the story basically goes like this. I am not blank enough. That's the story. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not blessed enough. I'm not gifted enough. What is the story you tell yourself whenever you see something someone else has that you don't? And if you can begin to, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and in the power of God, begin to identify the story, which is a lie, brothers and sisters. It, it's, it's a lie. I, 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 am not, I am not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. Listen, we celebrate Jesus Christ is risen. When, when our identity is rooted in him, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his love. He gives you his acceptance. Because of Christ, you, you are enough in him. You have, made, you have been made righteous in him. You are blank in him. And so the question is, what are, what's not the story? What's the lie you're believing about yourself? And how in the name of Jesus do these lies begin to get dispelled? And so every time, listen, when you see someone else's car, when you see someone else's house, when you see someone else's whatever, begin to identify what's the story I'm telling myself. And in the presence of God, whether you're journaling it, whether you're reflecting on it, whether you're talking it out, name that lie. Name that story. Because what begins to happen is this. We tell ourselves that story, and then we begin to medicate ourselves. Medicate ourselves from our own nagging sense of inadequacy. And so I'm not this enough, therefore I need to buy this. I'm not that enough, therefore I need to do this. I'm not this enough, therefore I need to have this. And all of a sudden, we're medicating our own sense of inadequacy and our own sense of shame and our own sense of pain. But there's something greater and deeper that God wants to deposit in us. But the question is, what's the story you are telling yourself? The second question is, what's the illusion you're believing about someone else? And so here it is. And the first question we're identifying the lies we tell ourselves. And the second, you're identifying the illusion of other people. And this is critically important to live a free life. Because we often believe illusions and lies about other people. We make decisions on what we see on the surface, but we don't see the cost or the impact or implications associated with what people have. And so listen, we see someone else's car, but we don't see their debt. We see someone else's house, 
but we don't see the struggle to maintain it. We see someone else's life on social media. And we do not see the depression that they have when they turn off their phone. We, we, we only see the highlights. We, we don't see the lowlights. We only see the, the, the stuff that looks pretty. We don't see the stuff behind the scenes. Now, I need to say as, as, a, as a side note, uh, not everyone who has nicer stuff than you is miserable. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Someone said, oh, you must be miserable. No, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. I'm, I'm okay. I'm just fine. The reality is, though, we often don't see the bigger picture of other people's lives. And then we get a look behind the scenes. And then our opinion changes. I think of people who, who leave one person for another thinking, oh, this person is so much better. He opens the door for me. Chivalry is not dead. This is, this is, this look how wonderful. You know, you're only two weeks into the relation. This is, this is so wonderful. And then, and then I'm going to go over here because over there is not good enough. And, and then you go over, and then after a while, you find yourself in this cycle because it can look very easy and nice on the outside, but not be the reality. Things are not always as they appear. This past winter, I was driving through my uh, in-law's neighborhood in Long Island. And as I drove by, it was wintertime. I was driving on the front of their house. Every, every home in Long Island has the lawn and the grass and everything. And every uh, house had like brown, dry, looked like straw. Just the, you know, it wasn't, the grass just looked at a bad place. And then I was driving and I saw one uh, house and the, the, the grass was just like a lush green. I said, what in the world? And I'm driving. I said, this is unbelievable. And I drive. I keep driving. The next couple of days later, I'm driving back. This thing is un. Look how green. I'm looking at everyone else's lawn. This is un. It's like it's springtime for them. And, and I'm just driving. And then I see them out. I drive again and I see some folks and I just stop in front and I go, can I ask you a question? How do you get your grass that green. And the owner said, oh, this is fake grass. This is, this is, this is fake grass. <laughs> I said, oh. I kept driving. We look at what other people have, and often it's an illusion. We look at everything, oh, they got it made. They got it going on. What's their secret? It's fake grass. That's what it is. And so what's the illusions you are believing? Listen, I used to, uh, in my younger days as a pastor, I'm still young, in my younger days as a pastor, (laughs) I would see all these massive churches and go, wow, look at that church. Look at that building. Look at this congregation. Oh, wow, that's what I want. And then I started getting some behind-the-scenes looks at what happens as some of these massive churches and some of the drama that happens behind these massive churches. And I started getting behind the scenes of the dysfunction and the chaos and the scandals. I'm going, this is crazy. I, I just want new life. That's what I want. I, I just want new life. I know we got an elk in front of the building. We can't do anything about that. I want, but I want this church. <laughs> 
I know the doors are not fully painted, but I want this church, all right? I know you got to, I need a third service. They have to move chairs by themselves, but we got this church, all right? Listen. But what's the illusion you are, uh, you're believing about other people? And here's the third question here. Listen, if you do this, oh, brothers and sisters, we'll get free. We'll get free, joyfully content. The third is, what are the gifts you need to acknowledge? What are are the gifts? What are the gifts? You have been entrusted with gifts. God's given you some stuff. God's given you relationships. God's given you gifts. What are the gifts that you need to acknowledge? In, In short, this is gratitude, isn't it? Thanksgiving, isn't it? Before you go to bed, you're thinking about, oh, Lord, I, I have a, we have a family tradition every night where we, we pray with our kids and, and we look back and we do a little examine, a little prayer of examine, and we think about what, 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 what are the gifts that came our way? And, and Nathan and Karis were naming some of the gifts that came our way. And I go, oh, that was beautiful, wasn't that? Oh, that was fantastic, wasn't it? And it, something happens in us when we're naming things that we've received when we're grateful for the gifts that God has given us. And here's the reality. For some of us, some of the gifts are gifts in disguise. They're challenges that come your way. But the challenges might be producing something inside of you. You might be struggling financially, might be in between jobs right now, and yet, by God's grace, this can be a gift to you. Might have special needs children, and you go, oh, what in the world's happening here? A gift to you. Might be in a certain place in your life where you're wondering, I I cannot see any good come out of this, but through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, begin to recognize, no, 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 this is a gift that God has entrusted to me. And here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ doesn't just change our behavior or want to change our behavior. He wants to transform our very hearts so that we're not just on the outside observing good stuff. And, and living a certain way, but on the inside, we are being transformed. The, the, the gospel of the world is if you get this, if you do this, if you be this, then you will be happy, then you will be satisfied, then you'll be joyful. The gospel of the kingdom of God is because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of who he is, because of his death, because of his resurrection, you can be truly joyful. You can be truly content. You can live with the abundance of the kingdom of God. And God calls us to be free. Let me end with this. The goal of being set free by God in this passage is to be the people and the persons God created you to be. In Exodus 20, God redeemed them for the sake of their identity and mission. And over and over and over again, the people of God coveted other nations. They wanted a king like other nations. They wanted to be like other nations. And God says, I rescued you, not so you can be like other nations, but so you can be the unique people of God I've called you to be. And God looks at each and every one of you in this room and watching online, and he looks at you and says, I have created you to be a particular person. I have given you particular gifts. I have given you particular experiences. I have given you particular desires. And I have set you free so that you can be who I called you to be and and so that you can demonstrate to the world what I'm like. And so, listen, it's easy to covet what everyone else has and who other people are, but, but you are a gift, brothers and sisters. God has made you into a gift, and he calls us to live into that reality. And so here's the question. What are you coveting? Who are you coveting? If you can begin to name that, let's have the worship team come forward. If you can begin to name that. 
and begin to wrestle with God. What's the story I'm telling myself? What's the illusions I'm believing? What's the gifts I need to receive? When we begin to think about what Christ has done for us and the transformation he wants to do in us, all of a sudden we find ourselves living more joyfully content in the world. Let's pray together. I invite you to close your eyes for a moment and we're going to sing in a moment. But I want you to name for a moment, what, what, what have you been coveting? Maybe you've been on social media a lot and seeing everybody else's life and going, yeah, that's what I want. And yet God's saying, no, 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 I, I have something more for you. I have something different for you. That's them, that's not you. What are you coveting? Who are you coveting? What possessions? What achievements? What relationships? And just offer that to the Lord. Let's just be honest, Lord. This is where I'm at right now. But Lord, I know this is corrosive. It's destroying me. Set me free. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to begin the journey of living in a kind of joyful contentment, free, Lord, to live the life you have called each and every one of us to live and to be the church you've called us to be. Lord, as a congregation, you've called us to be a particular kind of people. And may we joyfully live into that reality today. And so, Holy Spirit, come, fill us. Make us the people you long for us to be on this day. We sing to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together. Fullness of eternal promise. Stirring in our sons and daughters. Earth revealing heaven's wonders. Spirit come. Spirit come. What he spoke is now unfolding. All your children shall behold it. Dreams awaken in this moment. Spirit come, Spirit come. Pouring out, let your love run over here and now. Let your glory fill this house. Pour it out. Let your love run over here and now. Let your glory
to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves, do in us what a possession cannot do in us, do in us what an achievement cannot do in us, do in us what a relationship cannot do in us. That's the grace of God. God's grace does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's our prayer, that we would live in that love this day. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. Invite um, those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to my right. And as you come and take the bread and the cup, you are remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you. His broken body has poured out love. And this is the friendship and communion that he invites us into. And so you can come take bread, dip it in a cup. And to my left, we'll have our prayer team here. Listen, I know of no person who doesn't struggle with coveting. Every single one of us struggles with this. And so it's an opportunity to receive prayer. Now, for some of us, Maybe you are in a light season of coveting. For some of us, maybe you're in a heavy season of coveting. But wherever you're at on the journey, our prayer team is here to pray for you. Maybe you've already started to make some bad decisions. Maybe you've been feeling a certain way about yourself. Maybe you are down a road and you wonder, how can I come back? Well, by God's grace, you can come back. By God's grace, you can live a life of joyful contentment. And begin, it begins with prayer. And so our prayer team is here to pray for you, to lay hands on you, to anoint you with oil as a sign of God's presence and his love over your life. That God has entrusted you with a particular life. Now how do we, Lord, steward this? How do we manage it well for the sake of your name? And so whether you're coming for prayer, whether you're coming for the Lord's table, for some of you in this room, you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never said yes to his love. And you've been looking everywhere for things to satisfy. 
You thought it would come in a new possession. You thought it would come in a new degree, a new accomplishment, a new relationship. But nothing can quench your soul like the love of God can. And if you're feeling just, I never said yes to Jesus, I have this gnawing sense of inadequacy, I'm not good enough, oh, let him give you his righteousness. Let him give you his love. Let him give you this acceptance. Let him give you this justification. Let him give it to you. But what it takes for you is to receive it. And so in your heart, if you simply said, Lord, I, I want your love. Change me, transform me. I want to follow you. And if you say something as simple as that, God hears you. And God can begin the work of transformation in you. And if that's something that's bubbling up inside of you, our prayer team is here. Whether you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time or whether you want to recommit your life to him, our prayer team is here. The Lord's table is here. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. The posture of the world is coveting. The posture of the one, the one who lives in the kingdom of God is one of receiving. Joyful contentment. May the Lord lead all of us this week into greater levels of freedom. And so with your hands and your hearts, in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is alive. And may you experience a freedom of soul this week. May you experience the sufficiency of God's love in Christ. May you experience his power. May you experience his joy. May you experience his peace. And may you move away from coveting into joyful contentment. I bless you all this day in the name and the strong and the beautiful and the transforming name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.